Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> We've been going through the book of Romans for several weeks now. And um, this is a, a passage that at first glance it seems like it says roughly the same thing that we looked at last week. But it is different because what we're going to be seeing today, in, in, in my personal opinion, um, is that we are going to be looking at what the Christian life after salvation looks like. What, what is our life supposed to look like after we are saved? And so last week we talked about the radical change that's going to happen. There will be a change in your life when you become a Christian. This week we're going to talk about what that change is going to look like, what it's, what, what it's going to be. So we're talking about the essentials of Christianity, and the thing that we learned this week is that we have been freed to serve. Now that might seem a little, I guess you'd say counterintuitive, um, but that is exactly what Jesus did, is he freed us so that we could serve. We were serving, um, but he has changed what we're going to serve. Uh, and I want to start by presenting a truth to you um, this morning that, that I believe uh, we might all kind of agree with, but its applications get a little difficult for a lot of folks real quick. The truth is, uh, the truth that we believe is the truth that we really live. Um, there's so many things that we know, but we simply don't act on that knowledge. So there are things that, that we know to be true, but we don't actually act on that knowledge. And so, to me, there is a difference between a belief and a truth. You know something's true, but you don't do anything about it, whereas if, if, if there is a belief, it's something that drives you to action. Okay, and, and so, here's something that is also very important. What you know will not save you. What you know will not help or fix your relationship with God. What you believe is what will save you. What you believe is what will work in your relationship with God. So those things that we simply know, but we're not acting on those things, that's not faith. That's not what faith is. That's not ever what the Bible told us. You know, Jesus even said, well, of, of course, you know, Satan and his demons know the Lord and they tremble. They know the word. Satan used the word of God against Jesus in, in his temptation. So knowledge is not what saves. Knowledge is just simply that. It is knowledge. It's information. What we believe will change our actions. And so that's an important part and it's something that should set the tone for how we uh, study this today. So I propose to you that our beliefs will dictate our actions. If we really believe something, it will affect what we do. And, and so as we get into this, um, I think this is true of every aspect of our lives, um, but I want to focus specifically on how it looks and how it works in our own salvation. So last week we discussed the change um, that salvation makes in our lives, and as we continue in this study, uh, it's important for us to be able to identify that change in our own lives. In other words, we have been changed, but what does that look like? So what is different about you now uh, than before you were saved? We need to be able to point to that. We need to be able to look at that, because that is part of your testimony. That is part of, of the story that God is writing in your own life. And so that's very important for us. And believers who have been saved by faith are free to serve God in loving obedience. So that's, that's essentially what we're looking at this morning. Uh, so let me give you the sermon in a sentence. Jesus freed us from sin so that we can live fruitful, righteous lives. So last week when we read the passage, basically what we got from that was that 
When we uh, become a Christian, there's some technical things that happen. One, we die to our sin. Just as Jesus died for our sin, we die to our sin. And so what that does is it frees us from sin and it frees us from death. Does that mean that we're perfect? No. Does that mean that we won't die one earthly time? No. But we are not slaves to those things anymore. Instead, we are set free to God. And Paul continues that thought in this passage. So we're going to pick up reading in verse 15. So Romans chapter 6, verse 15, we'll go through the end of the chapter, verse 23. It says, what then? Are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves to the one whom you obey, either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness? But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed, and having been set free from sin, have become slaves to, of righteousness." I am speaking in human terms because of your natural limitations. For just as you once presented your members as slaves to impurity and to lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves to righteousness, leading to sanctification. For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. But what fruit were you getting at that time from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death. But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So, <clears throat> Paul is again putting out kind of a, a question at the beginning. Um, at the beginning of, of this chapter, he puts out a question because he has made the point that we are saved by faith, not by works. And so it is what we believe in Jesus Christ, that is when we are saved. It is not doing certain things in order to get saved. And, you know, that, that is something that he has, he has proven. And so then he says, well, there's, there's going to be people that have questions. Should we just continue in sin? Um, and, and this one, this question beginning here, it says, are we to sin because we are not under the law but under grace? In other words, have we been relieved from the demands of the law? And if so, can we just sin because all of our sins are forgiven? So the question might go something like this. And I've heard people actually ask this question or some version of it. If I'm really saved and all of my sins, past, present, and future, have been forgiven, then shouldn't I just go on sinning and enjoy it while I'm here on earth? Um, and I think part of the part, it's again a kind of a snarky question. Basically, they're poking fun at, you know, once saved, always saved, or believing that once you're saved that you don't lose your salvation. But the point that, 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 is, that is being made here is I don't really believe in grace. Because if I really believed in grace, I would understand that, that salvation comes from God, not from man. It's God's free gift. This, book, this, this particular passage opens with that grace, and, and it closes with that free gift of God, which is, again, grace. And so that's what we're talking about this entire passage, is that God has given us salvation, but then what do we do with it, and what does our life look like afterwards? And so at the core of it, and, you know, we all like to be... To, to say, say that we don't do this, but at the core of it, we want to know what we can get away with. And so what can I get away with? So when you're riding down the road and you see that sign that says 55, what can you get away with? Can you get away with 54? Or can you get away with 59? 
What's the old saying? Eight, you're great. Nine, you're mine. You know, we want to know what we can get away with, right? Well, that's kind of where this is going. What can you get away with? If we're not under the law, then we're under grace. So what can we get away with? So Paul's going to kind of address this. This attitude illustrates the difference between knowledge and belief. So if you know that you're under grace, not under the law, then, then, then you know that you should be able to do whatever you want to do now because the penalty of the law has been erased. But when you believe, it changes things. So the person that would say this knows that Jesus saves us from all of our sins when we give our lives over to him, but that knowledge has not become action in their life. And so here's the thing. A true Christian is not going to be looking to get away with. A true Christian is not going to be looking for what freedoms they have to do sin or to commit sin. What they're looking for is how to serve God. That's what a true Christian is actually looking for. So we have learned, I think Paul has made it abundantly clear by this point, that a Christian cannot go on living in sin unfazed. So let me make a, let me make a point here. It is, it is not only possible... It is likely that when you get saved, although you're dead to sin, new, alive in Christ, new creature, we talked about that last week, it is possible and likely that there will be carryover from that old life. In other words, there will still be old habits, old sinful things that try to cling to you. Now, what this is not saying, this is not saying that if you continue in that sin or if you make those mistakes again that you're not a Christian that's not my point at all but what this is saying is that that we will be rising above that we will be progressing from that so it's going to battle with you and it may battle with you for the rest of your life but as long as it's a battle you're not comfortable with it right and so if you're comfortable with it and you're just like okay well this is just my sin this is what I do then that becomes that becomes a lifestyle of sin. But if something you fight and you push away and you push away, even if it tries to creep back in, because the Bible definitely tells us that sin continues to try to push its way back in your life, but if you're pushing it out, then that is the battle and that is what we're supposed to be doing. That is the striving. That is the day-by-day -day progress that we are supposed to be making. Um, but see, that's something, that we have to, uh, that's something that we have to be aware of. Um, you know, it's a dangerous place for somebody to be comfortable with sin. And the reason it's dangerous is because it may mean that they really are still under the law and not under grace. What does it mean to be under the law? Well, according to even what Jesus himself said, if you're going to be under the law, if you're going to be justified by the law, that means that you have to keep every part of the law. So, for example, if I had a pane of glass in front of you here and I, and I drew boxes in it and I wrote numbers inside the boxes and I said, okay, take a rock and throw it through the number three. Well, what's going to happen when you throw the rock through the, the pane of glass where it's marked number three? The whole thing's going to break, right? And so you didn't just break number three, you are a window breaker. The Bible illustrates the law in that very same way. So you may not have murdered somebody, but we've probably broken a law of God. And let's be honest, we've probably broken a lot of the laws of God, and so we are law breakers. So if your status, according to, 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 to basically whether you're saved or not, if your status is under the law, meaning you're apart from Christ, to be in Christ is to be apart from the law. So if you are under the law or in the law, then that means that you are subject. If you are a lawbreaker, you are subject to judgment from the law. If people want to live that way, then that is going to lead to destruction. 
The only other option is to be under grace. And what that means is that we surrender our old lives, we begin to follow after Jesus Christ and do what he has commanded us to do. But it starts by a relationship of faith. So what we have to make sure is that we don't get confused. We don't want to get confused and say, well, if you just start being good, then you're a Christian. Well, that's, that's not the case. So if you have a severe medical problem, but you start pretending like you're okay, are you really okay? No, you have to be healed, right? You have to be healed before you can be changed. And that is the same thing with us. We have a sin sickness. And we can pretend to be good for at least a little while, but that doesn't mean that we're a Christian. We have to go to the great physician. We have to go to Jesus. We have to be saved. Then that life can begin to follow afterwards. So there is no religious teaching that I know of, Christian teaching that I know of, that says once you get saved, you can go off and do whatever you want to do. And so this is a passage that's helping us to understand that. You still cannot go off and do whatever you want to do. God is going to change your desires. He's going to change the way that you live your life. So the reality is in order to find righteousness in the law, we have to keep the whole law. No one's been able to do that except Jesus. And so if we find ourselves under the law, we find ourselves under condemnation. So to be under grace means that we have had a saving encounter with Jesus Christ and he has removed both our sin and its power over us. We have terms that we use in church. And I have used these terms as well, but we do need to consider these terms a little bit. Let me tell you what didn't happen. Jesus did not, through his part in the Holy Trinity, create everything that exists, create mankind, watch us fall, enact the plan of salvation, come down to this earth, live a perfect, sinful, sinless life, die on the cross for our sins, conquer death in the grave, return back to his Father in glory, sit down at the right hand of power, and wait for us to invite him into our hearts. That's not what he did. Jesus is not waiting for you to invite him in. He is waiting for you to recognize his sovereignty, his authority in your life. And so when we are saved, it is not what we're doing it is what he is doing. It is who he is. It is what he has done. So when we are saved, it is God's work, not our work. That's an important thing for us to recognize is that he comes in as the sovereign Lord of our life. Yes, he is our savior. And yes, just like John the Baptist said, behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. He did that. But he also came back out of that tomb and assumed the authority that he's always had. And so when we're dealing with Jesus, we have to remember, yes, he is the loving, gentle Savior. He is our shepherd, but he is also our Lord. And so there, that comes with some expectations that our lives will be different afterwards, okay? So the person um, that, lives a, uh, or that, lives life, that lives a life submitted to sin, they just simply have not entered into a faith-based relationship with Jesus, and therefore they would still be under the law. So the first real like, main thing that Paul says here is that we are slaves to the one that we obey. We are slaves to the one that we obey. So he says, um, do you not know, verse 16, do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of that one whom you obey, uh, either sin, which leads to death, or obedience, which leads to righteousness. So, it is important for us to understand how we are saved. And, and we've kind of covered this, but when we are saved, 
Um, the Bible says that we are justified. And what that means is in the courtroom of the Lord. He has gone into your personal sin record. And because of the work of Jesus, it has been changed. What it used to say is everything you've ever done wrong. But after the work of Jesus, it says that you have complied with every component of the law. That's what being justified means. He has made it as if you have never sinned. That's what being justified means. But we know that although we are legally justified, legally righteous, practically, we are still humans and we still make mistakes. And so that's an important distinction that we have to recognize is that once we are saved, yes, we are saved according to God, we are justified according to God, but there is still progress that needs to be made in our lives for our, our practical life to match up with our spiritual life. So that has to change. So there, again, there are some things that are going to cling to us for a while, but a true believer is one that will fight those things. So as you go through your life as a Christian, there may be things from your old life that try to creep back in. There may be whole new things and whole new temptations, whole new problems that come in. Those are things that you just have to fight. Those are things that we have to understand, and we have the ability and the power to fight those things. And that's another thing that we are learning as we go through this passage of Scripture. But here's something that is troubling. The disturbing thing about sin in the life of a believer is that the only reason we sin anymore is because we still love it. That's hard to hear, but I do believe it's true. So in this first part, in, in Romans chapter 6, the first uh, 14 verses, we learn that we died to the power of sin. Uh, when we came to become a believer in Jesus Christ, we died to sin. Before that, we were stuck in a sinful pattern. We didn't have a way to break out of that sinful pattern. We didn't have the power to do that. But after Jesus became our Savior, that power, the sovereignty, the reign of sin was broken. And so we can say no to sin. We have that ability. What Jesus did when he was tempted and he told Satan no, we have the ability to resist temptation. It's not easy. It's not for the faint of heart, but it's something that we can do. And so if we continue in sin after salvation, it's because we still love it. And the reality is we really, really do still love sin in a lot of different ways. Um, we can see the fact that people love sin proved out in both believers' lives and unbelievers' lives. People love to do the most dangerous and sinful things. By the time we meet here again next week, your TVs and your social media feeds and any other way that you get information... Uh, will be covered by celebrations, by parades, um, by moments of affirmation. Because whether you know it or not, June is the month that they celebrate homosexuality. Whatever they want to call it, however they want to label it, it's their, their pride month. So they celebrate this, and it'll happen all of the month of June. Now, the Bible has told us about this. In, in, in fact, Romans chapter 1 will be played out on your TV. God said that because they rejected him, they rejected his truth, he has given them over to unnatural desires. Well, it's going to be played out on your TV. You're going to see it. You're going to see it everywhere you go. You're going to see a little rainbow flag shining all over the place. You're going to see this, okay? And it would be easy for us as Christians to say, oh, that's bad. That's bad. And of course it is bad. It's a, it's a rebellion against God and against his created order. So yes, it is bad. But isn't there bad things happening among us as well? 
And, and, and as much as we want to say, hey, what's going on out there is, is bad, and we could, we could talk about the things that have been said and done since the Supreme Court leak and all that, but that doesn't really, what we need to look at is what, what's going on with us, what's happening inside the church of America. There are really, really terrible things going on. There is false teaching, and it is abundant false teaching going on. There, there is idolatry um, of both things and people, um, there, there are inappropriate relationships. There's unimaginable greed. There is sin even within the camp. And so what we have to recognize is that that sin doesn't have the power to be in the church. We give it that power. Just like the sin that might or may not be in your life, it is sin that you're giving it the power because Jesus has already defeated it. He has freed you from that. The imagery that Paul uses in this passage is that we were slaves and we have been set free. And so the only way that it still has power over us is if we go back to it. So we don't need to return back to it. So the list of the bad things going on, um, is that, it, that list could go on and on forever. Uh, but what we know is that when we, when we look at a lot of churches today, one thing that is kind of held up as a standard is, is this church growing? Is this, is this church growing? And if it's growing, then it must be doing you know, right. Well, there's a book in the Bible called Job, that's, that basically shows us that God doesn't just give out blessings. There are times when a good person, or a good church, if you want to use the illustration, they still go through difficult and challenging times. And that doesn't mean that they're not faithful. That just means that, and, and in Job's case, he was faithful. And that's why he was chosen to be tested. And so not every good Bible-believing church is always going to be growing. It has the potential to grow, but it's not. But there are a lot of churches that are success-oriented, and so they begin to compromise. They begin to, to do things that really they shouldn't do in order to draw people in. What does that do? That creates quicksand, because then there are things that you can't say anymore. So if you've invited everybody in, for example, even the, thing, the last few paragraphs I've said wouldn't be welcome in a lot of churches today. Because they're so accepting and so affirming and so welcoming to, to everything that, that happens, well... There comes a point where you have to stand before the white throne of God's judgment and you have to say what you have done. You have to give an account for what you've said, what you've thought, what you've done. And that's going to be a rough time. And I believe that the most loving thing for me to do is for help people understand that day's coming. That day is coming. And so we have to be aware of that. And so while I could, and this, this, is, this, is, a, um, this is a saying I'm about to say that I got from Amanda. I don't know if she got it from somewhere else, but... Um, here's the reality. When we look out at the world, we could be disappointed by what we see. Um, but we have to realize that if the world is full of people that are not saved, they are, as we would read in the Bible, they are pagans. And Amanda says that pagans are going to pag. They're just going to be bad. They're going to do what is natural to them to do. And that's something that we have to recognize. We can't go out and fix the world's problems. You know what you can't do? You can't go out there and reason with somebody to convince them that abortion is murder. They will never believe you. You cannot go out there and convince somebody that homosexuality is against God's created order. They won't do that. You can't reason people that way. You can't do it. They will not ever believe you. But what you can do is go out there and tell them that Jesus saves. In fact, that's what he commanded us to do. And so do we need to say what the Bible says about those kinds of sins? Absolutely we do. But the, the main focus of our effort needs to be telling people that Jesus saves because that's what's going to rescue them. 
And once they are saved, it changes everything. Jesus begins to work in their lives. So the point is, when Jesus saves us, he begins to make us righteous. And if Jesus saves them, he will begin to make them righteous. So wherever any of us start, he is working us towards righteousness. So that is, that is the point. That is what he is telling us to do, and that is, that is what he's showing us there. So think about this. When we look at the world and we see, oh, they're being bad, they're doing wrong things. And, and, and I'm telling you, if you just read some headlines, you're thinking, wow, how can people even get there? But here's the reality. Sin is powerful. And in the life of someone that's not saved, it is all powerful. In the last passage that we read, Paul used the imagery of death to describe what it took to break the power of sin in our lives. And so understand that, that it, is, it, is, it has a powerful hold on us and it is a lot to, to break away, to change from that. But we have been broken away from sin. We have been freed from sin. And so we can then focus on different things. We can focus on obedience. As Paul says, we begin to be slaves or servants of righteousness rather than slaves of sin. So we have been freed from sin to serve righteousness. We're going to serve something. And so what God has presented for us, instead of serving sin, which, getting ahead of myself, leads to death and, uh, um, or leads to shame and death, what we can serve now is righteousness, which leads to fruitful life and even eternal life. So <clears throat> we have to recognize um, that, that, that we are justified by Jesus. We're, we're declared righteous once and for all. We die to sin, but we're not perfect. The point of the life of the Christian should not, <clears throat> the point is that the life of a Christian shouldn't be marked by sin. In other words, that shouldn't be what you're known for. We're all known for something, right? Um, you, you're known for what you bring to the church eating meetings sometimes, right? You're known for what you can do, what skill you have. People are known because they're a good singer. People are known because nobody will ever ask them to lead music again. People are known for what they are or what they are not. We are known for things. Well, Christians should not be known for their sinful habits and their sinful patterns. We should be characterized by love. We should be characterized by goodness. We should be characterized by a mindfulness of the things of God. Those are the things that we should be known by. There, there's obviously other things, but we need to be focused on God. There's plenty of people to worry about the things in this world that, that aren't about God. Let them worry about that. Let us worry about God um, and, and, and how we can serve Him. Um, the righteousness that we will have in our lives after becoming a Christian, it's not going to come because we meticulously watch and keep the law. It's going to come because we love God and we obey His commands. That's where the true righteousness comes from, and that's the life-changing righteousness. That's the kind that Jesus called us to have. When we submit to the Lord, our relationship to righteousness should have the same power over us that the old relationship of sin exhibited over us. In other words, if sin was sovereign in our lives before it had complete control, then righteousness should have control now. Before, we could not fathom a, a solution to a problem that didn't involve sin. Well, now we should not be able to fathom a solution to a problem that does not involve righteousness. There was a time in our lives that we gave over every part of our lives to our own desires. But Jesus is calling us now to give over every part of our lives to righteousness. That's what he's calling us to do. So everything belonged to sin before, so now everything belongs to him. That's what he's calling us to do. So as we do this, our personal lives will begin to reflect the justification that became ours at the moment of salvation. So legally, God saved you and said that you had never sinned, but you know reality, you do still sin. But as we grow closer to Christ, those sins should become fewer and far between. We should begin to be more like Him. That's what sanctification ultimately is. So 
We are living in righteousness so that we can be sanctified, so that our life can match the justification that Jesus has already paid for in our lives. So let's look at the second part of this. The second part, uh, we're looking a little bit more at kind of the fruit um, because Paul talks about the fact that they were slaves to their sin, but what they get out of it. So we're going to look at the fruitfulness. Um, he makes the point, um, I think that, that it's going to help us just to observe the world around us. Um, people who have not been saved by the Lord Jesus, they're slaves to sin. They simply cannot not sin. We've already talked about this, so I'm not really going to major on it anymore, but um, when it doesn't help us to look at the world and say, well, why don't they just? Because we could just, but they may not be able to just. You know, because I've seen some weird, weird stories come out in the last few weeks of what people are doing, and it's, it, you're thinking, why would they ever do that? But then if, if all of my life was headlines of news stories, I'd probably be scratching my head saying, why did I do that? Why did I do that? Why, why did I ever think that that was okay or a good idea? And so the same thing could be said for all of us. Before we are Christians, we are not what we should be. We are not what God has called us to be. Uh, so, and here's the thing. What we can't do, really, um, is, is go into the, the places where people are, are supporting abortion or they're supporting homosexuality or they're supporting any of these other things that we would consider to be evil. We can't go in there and just moralize to them. We can't just say, well, you shouldn't do this. God will love you better if you don't do this or God will love you better if you do this. That's not something that we can do because, you know, at the end of the day, if you tell people be good and God will love you, they're going to find out they can't be good so they'll believe that God will never love them. That's a hateful thing to do. But if we tell them God already loves you, he sent his son Jesus to die for you, and if you surrender your life to him, he will clean you up. That's the gospel. That's the message that we need to proclaim. That is what God left us on this earth to do. And so, yes, we recognize that the world is sinful, um, but we're not going to go try to fix the world's problems. We're going to go try to proclaim the gospel and let Jesus work in the problems of this world. When you look at the New Testament and you look at the leaders of the New Testament, one thing they were not was social activists. They didn't go around saying, well, this is a problem, we want to fix it. This is a problem, we want to fix it. No, all they did was share the gospel. If Paul was put in front of a king, he didn't say, hey, king, there's some people suffering, going through a hard time, and you need to do something about it. No, he said, you need to do something about your own soul. You need to understand that Jesus died to save you. And then if, if the king becomes a Christian, how much more so does that affect the people around him? That's what we need to be focused on. Let us preach the gospel. Let God worry about the world. That's what we should do. So, one thing we learn from sin is that it is not fruitful. It's not fruitful and it leads to shame. It leads to all the terrible things. So that's what Paul was asking the, the, the Romans is, what did you get out of sin? All you really got out of sin is the fact that you did things that you're now ashamed of. So you don't really get anything about sin. The answer is they receive nothing uh, except shame over what they've done. It's only through the blood of Jesus and the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives that we can be relieved of the shame of our sinfulness. Until we are saved and recognize that Jesus has wiped away that sin, we'll always be ashamed of what we've done. But once that happens, we will recognize that's just another block in the testimony of things that God has saved us from. The mightiness of God that he could save us even from the worst things we've done is part of our testimony. That's something that we should proclaim. So not only does sinfulness lead to shame, but ultimately we have learned that it leads to death as well. There's no good thing that comes from sin. Um, you know, the reality is, as we live in this world, we need to proclaim Jesus because there's nothing else. They need to know that sin leads to death, always leads to death, 
but righteousness leads to eternal life. They need to know that. Everyone needs to know that because that is the message that will save, not be good or not that's wrong. They need to know that sin leads to death, whatever it is, and righteousness leads to eternal life. So living apart from Jesus means living a life enslaved to sin. We have to recognize that there's only two ways, for God or against God. The good news of Jesus Christ is that He came to rescue us from the penalty of sin and He has come to set us free from the bondage to sin. That is the good news. That's what He has done. So the only thing a person can get out of a sinful life is shame and death, but when we live lives in service to God, we get sanctification and eternal life. He makes us better. He helps us to live a better life. So the power that you have to say no to sin is the power that God has put in your life. So you depend on God and God will bring you out of the dark times and bring you out of the bad times. So Paul closes this passage with a verse that many of us will be familiar with because it's part of the Romans road to salvation. For the wages of sin is death. This is verse 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. Now we know this. Um, we have heard this and it's important for us to recognize that there are no unrelated or isolated events in the world. Nothing that we do has no action or reaction. In other words, when we sin, there's going to be a reaction to that. And what's the reaction? The wages of sin is death. When we sin, we earn death. And that is, that is very basic. But the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. So, so what we did had the result that we are now under the penalty of death. What Jesus did has the result that now we have access to eternal life when we believe in Him. And so that is the joy of the gospel. And that's what Paul kind of ends with. And here's what's important. Do you believe this? That's what's important. So we can know it. I think now, because we've had it for a couple of weeks, and I've said it enough, and you've seen it in the Bible, enough sin leads to death. Everybody knows that. No one that lives in sin and lives apart from Jesus is going to escape punishment from sin. We all know that. But do we believe it? Because if we believe it, it's going to change what we do. It's going to change how we act. It's going to change the way we talk to people. It's going to change the way that we personally live. And so we come back around. The truth that I believe is the truth that I live. Belief leads to actions. Are we actually going to tell people about Jesus? Are we actually going to tell people that it's not their, their, their day-to-day choices that's going to make a difference. It's that one decision about what they're going to do about Jesus. That's what's going to make a difference. So if we believe this passage, it will affect how we live going forward. There are several passages in the Bible that tell us that there's only two choices. And this is one of them. There is either the choice of sin and death or the choice of Jesus and life. There really aren't any other choices. There's no middle ground. There's no, there's no other way. That the Bible makes it clear. There is one way. There is through Jesus or there is the way of sin. And the way of sin is broad. Jesus says this. There's a narrow road and a broad road. And this passage makes that just as clear as anybody else. So you're either going to believe in Jesus and you're going to have life. You're going to have salvation. You're going to have righteousness. You're going to have eternal life. Or you're going to go the other way and you're going to have sin. Sin, the fruit of sin is shame. Fruit of sin is death. We know that that leads to eternal punishment. So there's really only two ways. And so when we are saved and we look at what God has done, we see that He has saved us from this mighty power of sin. It should lead us to rejoice and worship Him, but it should also lead us to tell other people about Jesus. And so we have to call other people to salvation. We can, we can tell people what they're doing wrong. That's one way to go. But we can also tell people about Jesus. 
tell them that he can save them from whatever is in their lives. So let's wrap this up. When Jesus saves us, we spend the rest of our earthly lives growing more like him. That's what, that's what sanctification is all about. Day one, you're a Christian. You're not going to be a whole lot different, at least physically and visibly, than you were the day before. But Jesus saves us and he continues to save us. He continues to change us. We continue to grow to be more like him. The end of our mortal lives is only the beginning of our time with the Lord. The Bible promises eternal life. And so that is a wonderful promise. So what are you supposed to do with this? Well, you're here on this earth. Uh, God gave you a voice, most of us, and so what we need to do is proclaim the good news that Jesus saves us from our sin and offers eternal life with him. Are there problems in this world? Absolutely. Should we say what the Bible says about them? Yes. But our main message has to be the gospel. If it's anything else, we're wasting precious and valuable time because we're not going to convince people not to do the bad things they're doing. We're not going to convince them to believe the way that we believe, but if we can share the gospel with them, Jesus will work all of that out for them. So that's my encouragement and challenge for you this week is tell people what God has done in your life. Share Jesus with them, and let's see what he does. Because we can't change people, but Jesus can. Let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this time to gather together. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus who has saved us. We thank you for the knowledge that your word has given us, telling us um, about our sin and about our need for a savior. We thank you that that very same word tells us about Jesus, tells us that he came to, to die on a cross for our sins, that he came to give us eternal life, that if we would believe on him, then we would be saved. I thank you that many of us probably have made that choice a long, long time ago to submit our lives to Jesus. But Lord, we're looking out at a world that doesn't appear to know that message. And I pray that you help us, empower us, equip us to proclaim that to the people that we meet because there is no other message that's going to help this world today. We have to proclaim him because nothing else can help. And so I pray that you help us to do that, make us faithful to do that. And Father, I pray um, as, as we have opportunity, we have time, let us remember to always worship you and praise you because just like what we see out in this world, we could have been in some of the same situations, but you have saved us. Let us celebrate you and praise you for that. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.